I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, we'll be discussing the much-anticipated sequel to The Incredibles, Incredibles 2, the somewhat biopic, uh, if you want to call it that, tag, and the uh, both the original and the remake of the exploitation classic, Superfly. Let's get started. Combustion imminent? What does that mean? Ah! It means fire, Robert. The screen slater interrupts this program for an important announcement. Suit up. It might get weird. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going ASAP? You better be back ASAP. Fourteen years it took for us to get Incredibles 2. The one Pixar movie everybody wanted a sequel to, and we got two sequels to Cars, and two two completed, and a fourth announced sequel to Toy Story, as well as a sequel to Finding Dory, to Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, and a prequel to Monsters, Inc., before we ever got the sequel to Incredibles. You know, because... The superhero movie is the one we don't give a sequel to immediately. But, yeah, it's here. We're, it's here, and uh, what do I think? I think it's good. I think the original is still a more put-together story. It, it flo- it's how it plays out works a lot better. But this sequel definitely is, it has, you know, was something I loved. And I'm glad I am glad finally got to see. The premise here, if you if you haven't seen the trailers, is a lot is immediately after the first movie. So this is right after that event, and they reveal through little little hints that this takes place in an alternative 1962. So they actually give us a time period for when this is happening. And what happened is after the underminer attack. The Parr family has to go into hiding again, and and during the Parr attack, uh, I an eccentric billionaire wants to wants to bring back superheroes into the mainstream, and so he decides to kind of use Elastigirl, being that she is the most careful of the heroes. Specifically, uh, Mr. Incredible is definitely not, um, not, not careful. I mean, he is the one that kind of brought the lawsuits, that brought on the lawsuits that brought down superheroes er- early on in, like, the 50s. So, for Bob, so, for, so Elastigirl is the one who goes out and be, and is a superhero sort of skirting on the edge of the law, as it were. And... She is off trying to find out this new villain named the Screen Slaver. And my initial worry was that Screen Slaver would be a, a, an attack on the idea of, oh, kids today are always looking at their phones. Nobody pays attention to each other anymore. And thankfully, it's not that. I won't reveal what the real truth behind it is. Suffice to say that if you're familiar enough with how superhero movies go, you can kind of figure it out. It's not as it's not as um, meaty of a mystery as the first movie's reveal was. 
that reveal was way more like, boom, like, whoa. And this is more or less kind of, eh. Like, I feel like they could have better set up what was going down and the lead up to it rather than, you know, it just kind of revealing itself, so to speak, as it does in the movie, as Elastigirl investigates. But that, so yeah, the mystery is not as as good this time around. It's it's decent, and I, I think it's be, it's be, it's probably better for younger audiences who are just familiar with these kind of tropes. That being said, um, everything else about this movie is is the reason to see it. Like the action sequences are phenomenal, and the new superpowers they introduced an entire new group of superheroes. Uh, one is an old man with acid reflux who spits out molten lava. Uh, another is a girl played by, let me get her name. She's actually played by a known actress, and I've completely forgotten. Um, uh, we got re- most of the returning cast. Craig T. Nelson is Bob. Holly Hunter is Helen. Sarah Val returns as Violet. And then they've got a new kid actor to play Dash because the old one grew up. Uh, but they've added on Catherine Keener. Bob Odenkirk is the eccentric billionaire. Samuel L. Jackson returns. Uh, Brad Bird returns as Edna Mode. Uh, Sophia Bush. And for those who don't know her, she is... Um, she's, in, she's been in John Tucker Must Die, The Hitcher remake, One Tree Hill. Before this, uh, she was, in, she was a, a small part in Marshall. She's also been a recurring character on Chicago PD and that whole franchise uh she's also with which apparently originated on law and order special victims unit so i guess they're all in the same universe um she played emma mccoy in the hatfields and mccoy movie uh but yeah she's probably best known for brooke davis on one tree hill and uh here she plays a character she plays a a young superheroine named void who has portal powers she basically is it has a built-in portal gun. Uh, but you've also got um, Phil Lamar playing a couple of characters. Um, it, uh, we, um, there's a kind of big tough guy named Crush Hour who has the ability to kind of compact uh, material. Uh, Helectrix is a German... Um, well, I say German, but he could be... He's vaguely European, but he has electricity powers. Um, let me see. Uh, John Ratzenberger returns as the Underminer. Reflux. Um, I'm not seeing the other ones. There, where there was Void, and then there was one called Brick... But I'm not seeing his act voice actor in the here. Let me pull up the wiki. I'm sure they'll have a they'll have a list of the heroes in the wiki. So all right, we've got. Da, 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 da. No, it's just the same as that. The Disney Wiki just has it the same as the IMDb page. Come on. Incredibles 2. 
the heck? Apparently, it's still in the process of being fixed. I missed who the one other hero was. I think it's Brick. He he has a lot of brick, um, brick and mortar sort of um, uh, uh, visuals in his costume, like references in his costume. But um, yeah, but I'm not seeing any information on these other new heroes. Hold on, let me tr- let me try the the Wikipedia page because okay, so I have Screenslaver. Um, let me see that they, they had Void and Super. Here we go. Here's a let's see a list of supers. Okay, um, Helectrics, uh, Reflux, Brick, here we go. Voiced by Does and Zay. That's great. Um, okay, so, yeah, Brick was a hero. Okay, Brick was a female hero, female hero, okay. I didn't catch that. But, yeah, um, so, yeah, Brick seems to just be... A um, is seems to be just you know like the same same as Mister Incredible. Uh, she is um, she is she is just you know tough and muscular and uh, mega muscles possible brick related power doesn't say okay those are the ones they introduce and then they have a couple like scattered as cameos that they don't really introduce. But that's kind of the new thing, is introducing these new heroes. Oh, there was another... That, that was the other one. It was an owl. Uh, ba ba There. Screech. Big owl-like eyes and a head that rotates 360 degrees. Sonic Screech and Flight. So, yeah. Screech is... So, yeah. It's Void, Helectrix. Uh, maybe the wiki says where Helectrix is from. Does not say. I just remember he had um, a vaguely European accent. So, yeah, Electrics uh, has electricity. Void has portals. Uh, Reflux has molt, spews out in molten lava. Um, Brick is just, you know, big, strong. Um, Crush Hour is able to uh, to condense material. Um and then Screech is basically the Vulture, for all intents and purposes. And then if the Vulture had Mockingbird's Screech ability kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, that's so I like that. I like introducing these new heroes, adding more to this universe. And, uh, the, and then, of course, the big thing is the family dynamic. That Bob is the stay-at-home dad. And that was the other thing I was worried about. That... Bob being the stay-at-home dad would would be a commentary on, well, dads can't stay at home. They have to be the breadwinners. And I thought it was going to go down that path. And thankfully, it veers way away from that. And it just talked about how Bob is jealous that he's not in the field, but he becomes more 
engaged with his family and with raising his kids. And that's that that works way better. I also like how they handled like the events of the movie kind of showcase Violet struggling with coinciding with being the secretive superhero superhero type and wanting to have a somewhat normal life. And she now that she's more outgoing since the first movie, she wants to um you know she want she wants to she, you know she's finding that even harder and she has a great arc in this movie so yeah like the main thing is the villain is kind of predictable if you've seen any superhero movies but everything else around the movie the effects the stuff with jack jack alone is amazing he has this uh, he has this awesome fight with a raccoon during the course of the movie that showcases what he's capable of and his and him kind of becoming like becoming close with Aunt Edna is is just the best. So it and the movie opened when I went to see it in theaters with the with um Brad Bird, Craig T. Nelson, Helen Hunt Helen Hunt, um um no Helen Parr, uh Holly Hunter and Samuel L. Jackson all saying, Yeah, we get it. It took fourteen years, but hey, we're here now. Here you go. And it's like this this stuff takes time, people. You can't force this. And they wanted to take their time, and we got a solid follow-up. I think I think the only series that got better with each sequel was Toy Story. The cars dipped and then came back to nor came back to relative mediocrity, and then Finding Dory was a kind of a dip. And that, but the Toy Story were the Toy Story was the only series that got continually better. Meanwhile, um, this is kind of a slight dip, but only like, 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 like this is half a star lower than the first Incredibles sort of thing. Like it's that slight of a difference, and 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 I'm gl- I'm just I'm glad we finally got our Incredibles sequel. I'm okay with leaving it here. If if they want, I would be more okay if they were could like what the Toy Story um, uh, franchise. They continued it in the shorts. Like, they would do shorts featuring the Incredibles. I think that would be interesting. Rather than to continue to try and come up with more engaging ways to continue this franchise. Unless it, like, I think this would be better suited like superheroes for the comic books. I think getting some solid comic book writers to do a, um... Who's Disney teamed up with? I think there's some... They think they something new. Um... Who handles Disney's comic books now? There's Disney with IDW Publishing, but... Here we go. Disney Comics. Um, who's the one now? Kingdom Comics. That's not it. Um, Fantagraphics. Um, um, that's more the Donald Duck and, like, the Uncle Scrooge sort of thing. Who's handling their properties now? Like, who... Um, Amy Meberson is an artist I follow. Meberson? Weberson? Hold on. Yeah, Amy Meberson. Um, she's done uh, artwork for My Little Pony. She had a... Uh, Disney Princess comic series for a while that was like a sort of 
uh, one panel uh, gag strip. Uh, she's and she was able to turn that into a an ongoing series for whoever Disney's partnered with, which I cannot find. Apparently, there's a Monsters in Glass Factory comic. There it is. Who's behind this? Um, who's the publisher? Give me, give me a publisher. Why are you not giving me publisher? Damn it. Here. Uh, Joe Books Incorporated. And then there's the Disney Comics logo. So who's... See, I didn't know any information about who this Joe Books company was. And the only thing they seem to have their hands in is uh, Disney-related stuff. Big Hero 6, Alice in Wonderland, uh, Story. Um, Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, they seem to be uh, the Descendants. So they seem to be running, Joe Book seems to be handling the Disney stuff, but I have no idea who they are. They don't seem to have like a Wikipedia page about them. Um, here, here's the Disney Wiki. Leading independent publisher of graphic novels, premiered with Walt Disney Company, Lucasfilm, Marvel Worldwide, DreamWorks Animation, CBS Consumer Products, and NBC Universal. They do Darkwing Duck, Finding Dory, Frozen, Pirates of the Caribbean, Star vs. the Force of Evil. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Disney related stuff, but And then they do a bunch of Cine stories, which is like seem to be comic book. Retellings. It's like the comic book version of a novelization, and they're they don't seem to have any other information. Here, let's try their Facebook page. Um, there's the Cocos in the story. Publisher in Ontario, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and then I know Amy Meberson does the thing. So they just seem to be. An independent publisher that got a deal with uh, Disney for no for some reason, whatever reason. Anyway, I feel like if they continued the the story of the Incredibles in that form, it would work probably way better. We don't we wouldn't have, feel the need to want a new movie all the time to continue the story, you know. But for what it's worth, Incredibles two was worth the wait. And if you love the first movie, you're gonna like this. One. This game has given us a reason to be in each other's lives. I think your dad would have really wanted you to be. Yeah. <laughs> Get up! I'm keep on Eat my, Eat my dick. dick. Balls. Uh, but ice cream. What? He knows I'm lactose intolerant. He's taunting me. Don't you know I'm on a Like I said, this is somewhat of a biopic. Um, it's inspired by true events, mainly because they changed the names and the actual sort of things to go more hyperbolic with it. But the basic premise is still there were these group of guys, uh, about a half a dozen, a little more maybe, who got together as they were as kids to design the rules. For a once um you know, one one month out of the year game of tag, and they've kind of switched up things so it's not a direct biopic, but it takes a lot of inspiration from this guy's from these guys sort of game. And the premise here is Ed Helms, John Hamm, Jake Johnson, Hannibal Burris, 
and Jeremy Renner all grew up together and played the same game of tag every May. And so the conceit is Ed Helms uh, opens the movie um, meeting with John Hamm to tag him and then says, hey, uh, Jeremy Renner is trying to retire. I say we finally tag him since he's never been tagged. And we get and that, and then the story kind of snowballs out of into crazy town from there because you get information on how John Hamm and Jake Johnson were all, were both macking with the same girl who who wouldn't wouldn't give who wouldn't pick one of them and then um, Ed Helms married a woman Isla Fisher who gets really intense and wants in on the game but is just willing to kind of help out from the sidelines and. And Jeremy Renner is just, just a freaking ninja. Seriously, this dude, this dude pulls a Rambo style, like traps in the woods sort of thing to keep himself from getting tagged. The dude is insane. Um, the actual Jeremy Renner um, broke his arms either while filming or in, in in the lead up to filming. So they actually had to CGI his arms for the movie. But Renner took it in stride, and at the same time, you can't really tell, you know? Whereas some people were able to pinpoint and find out where uh, Superman had the uh, mustache in Justice League during the reshoots. Uh, You really honestly couldn't tell where the CGI arms were. They were integrated in well enough that they didn't stick out. And they were rendered well enough to blend into the rest of the shot. Um, And then as it plays out, it gets... It gets really tasteless at points, because, but then it also has a lot of heart to it as well. This movie is right on the line between good taste and bad taste, because there's a segment, there's a subplot of this movie that's in really bad taste and gets a really, really bad direct, goes in a really bad direction, but it's also one subplot out of all the other stuff. And the main thing it's going for is that he, these guys just want to have fun. And it's about keeping keeping together as you get older. And then even the end of the movie showcases the actual guys who are well into their 50s now. And still playing this game every February. And it's a lot of fun. And, and now that we have the advent of social media, they get to show... We get to see these guys playing the tag game on, you know, on the internet and join in. Uh, you can probably there are probably factions of the guys even at this point. I'm I'm out of the loop on this, so maybe there are. Who knows? Um, but yeah, all, all things considered, tag is really good. This is in line with Game Night as some of the best comedy of the year. And the only thing holding it back is definitely kind of when it veers off into those tasteless areas. And it's also kind of kind of slaps out like the idea that Jake Johnson is somehow in the same. Uh, graduating class as John Hamm, you know, age-wise. But at the same, uh, but at the same time, the act, the cast is hilarious enough that you don't really worry about it. It's just every so often the jokes will get into a really tasteless area that it detracts from the film. But otherwise, it's really good and it's a hell of a lot of fun. It's a delightful romp, except for when it's not. But you know, your mileage may vary. Bringing that chestnut back. I know who you are, priest. Abandon our business? That's unacceptable. I promise I'm gonna take care of you. 
We stick to the plan. What plan? We black men ain't nowhere safe. Come on, let's take a drive. We got two movies to talk about here. The 1972 original and then the remake. So I I just watched today, uh, the Sunday, Sunday the 17th. Um, I just finished watching the original. And uh, the original... I don't know. I feel like there are better examples of black exploitation, but it's also early enough in the genre that they haven't really ironed out what it is that makes black exploitation excellent, you know? It's just... It's kind of like one of the early precursors to the genre. Not precursors, because it's really early. It's just really early in the genre's history. It's like... It's like those really early superhero movies when they when you when they're just trying to figure out what it is they want to do, and so this here the idea is priest, played by Ryan O'Neill, not Ryan O'Neill, is that it, Carl O'Neill, who was the original Superfly, uh, Ron O'Neill, I was almost there, Ron O'Neill, and he and so priest is this dope dealer. Uh, it's cocaine. I actually posed a question on Twitter. What is dope? Because I've heard it applied to marijuana, cocaine, and heroin. So what exactly is dope? Is it just a catch-all term? Is it a regional thing? A generational thing? Who defines what dope is? Anyway, uh, he's, a, he's a drug dealer, and he wants out of the lifestyle. And so his plan is to sell just all of the cocaine he can and get out, and use that money to get out, but in the in the process of doing that, he catches the attention of corrupt cops and the and the and the distributor, and he gets and he starts to catch and they start to catch wind of him wanting to leave and try to put the pressure on him until but since he, but they showcase that he plays with the chessboard in his room. He's a long game man, so he's been planning these things out and knows exactly what to do and how and how to handle it. And so, he, you know, the idea is that he finally makes his way out of the game, I guess. But then they had two sequels. Uh, Superfly TNT uh, has them retiring in Rome and then joining an African revolution. Okay. Ooh, Robert Gua- Robert Guillami, the late Robert Guillami, Guillami, Guillami. How do you pronounce this man's name? I love him. He's a, for those who don't know Robert. Um. Here, Wikipedia, tell me how to pronounce this man's name. Um. Shoot. Wikipedia, why would you lie to me? Why wouldn't you tell me this? I need to know this. How do I pronounce this poor man's name? Name pronunciation. Okay. Guillaume? Robert? Guillaume? Hold on. Let's try a YouTube channel. It seems to be Guillaume. Uh, here, here's the Yahoo, Yahoo Answers. 
Um, Guillaume. Okay. Okay. I have, I've never known how to pronounce the poor man's name. Uh, but yeah, Robert Guillaume is best known as, for us, Rafiki in The Lion King. But for, um, for older people, you might would know him as Benson Dubois on Soap. He was Dr. Bennett Sr. in Big Fish. Um, uh, he was Mr. Thicknose in uh, the director video Lion, uh, Land Before Time sequel, The Big Freeze. Uh, he's been a voice actor. He's on The Proud Family. He was... He even played Rafiki in the direct video sequel and in uh, Timon and Pumbaa and in uh, the mid, that sort of Lion King one and a half thing. Uh, the video game, uh, one of the video games he played Rafiki, so he wasn't afraid to come back and do that. He was in Spy Hard, uh, Captain Planet and the Planet Tears, he had a voice, Pacific Station, The Meteor Man, A Different World, Fish Police, the short lived. He was Detective Catfish and the short lived. Fish Police, <laughs> um, Perry Mason, Love Boat, Soap. He's biggest known for in the 70s for Soap, which is a sitcom based around a soap opera. And and I've heard good things. I just haven't had a chance to see it. Uh, haven't had a chance to see it. But yeah, Robert Guillaume is a really... Real, like he was, um, he was the main narrator for this uh, series. Um, who produced it? Um, this animated kid series, uh, "Happily Ever After: Fairy Tales for Every Child," where they would tell fairy tales from different uh, cultural points of view, and so it was a multicultural sort of retelling of favorite fairy tales. And who produced it? Give me a, give me a cast list. Give me a full cast and crew. Who's the showrunner for this? Uh, we've got people I don't recognize. Lots of director credits. Where's uh, producer credits? Okay, but basically this was for HBO. And, um, ooh, his, ooh uh, his wife, Donna, Donna Brown Guillaume, um, is one of the main executive producers. So, basically it was a kid's show on HBO. And... And it featured a lot of black and a lot of um, Hispanic, Asian sort of uh, cultural retellings of stories. Uh, and then Robert Guillaume would narrate every episode. Uh, like the one they show in the IMDb, IMDb page is Robinita Brown. Uh, Rob, not Robinita Brown. Robinita Hood. Uh, so uh, a Lat, Latin uh, retelling of Robin Hood. But then uh, other episodes would be uh, Alibaba, but with, you know, and with the um, with the uh, traditional Arabic sort of cultural uh, aesthetic, the Empress's Nightingale for China. Um, let me see another one. Uh, the Princess and the Pauper, as told in, a, in an African kingdom. Uh, the Snow Queen told with Inuit children. Uh, Aesop's Fables, a whodunit musical. That's something. Uh, Pinocchio with uh, African-American uh, characters. Uh, Puss in Boots uh, in Hawaii. Uh, the Little Mermaid told... Uh, 
told, told set in Taipei, so Taiwan, and then Aladdin uh, as told through uh, Chinese yeah, set in China. So I mean, that's the kind of thing you're seeing in this. King Midas is set in Africa, so it's a solid series. But uh, yeah, apparently Robert Guillaume is in the is in uh, Superfly TNT. Uh, but yeah, it's the original Superfly is. Uh, it's it's definitely not as it doesn't feel as iconic as later black exploitation classics like um, uh, Truck Turner and uh, uh, Shaft. Especially Shaft is probably the best known uh, black exploitation movie. But um, trying to think of other cla- apparently in one uh, sweet. Sweet, Sweetback's badass song, uh, and Shaft were kind of the inspirations for the genre in the seven, in seventy and seventy one, uh, or oh, they were both in seventy one. Um, trying to think, Foxy Brown is probably better. Probably better. Um, Truck Turner, as I mentioned, um, Dolomite is is definitely more iconic, but it's, uh, I think it's a little more uh, a little more amateurish. Um, Disco Godfather is another one, and then um, so those are kind of the big ones. And uh, although they do tie in Proud Mary as a black exploitation style movie, and that's what I was hoping for, but we never really got it out of it. We got more uh, Black Dynamite is a better black exploitation movie. Than Proud Mary was, uh, and Jackie Brown definitely had inspiration from black, from um, black exploitation. So yeah, uh, Superfly. I feel like it it suffers from being so early on that they didn't have what made like that's the thing. Shaft started the helped start the genre, but then you got things like. Things la- things later on, like um, let's see, I'm taking a look at the uh, Truck Turner came out in '74, a couple years later, so that genre is already starting to kick off by that point. And then later on, Sheba Baby, and then um, Dolomite were in '75. Foxy Brown was Coffee Coffee, and Cleopatra Jones were '73. Black Caesar '73. When was Foxy Brown? Foxy Brown was seventy four. So it's good, really good, more iconic um, uh, black exploitation movies that came out were more were closer to like the mid seventies, leading into the mid seventies. Whereas early on, about the same time, we had uh, Blackula. <laughs> same year, uh, Black. We did, although we did have Black Mama, White Mama, which I I don't I'm not sure uh, about. And then, like I said, pre- the previous year was Shaft and Sweet Sweetback's badass, badass song. That I'm pronouncing it because that's how it's how how it is in the title. It's uh, badass with three extra s's, um, and that was by Melvin Van Peebles. Um, oh, apparently his son Mario Van Peebles. Uh, did a biopic about the making of Sweet Sweetback called Badass. I need to check that out. Um, R.L. Van Peebles is one of those guys that I wish got more work than he did. Uh, but yeah, 72, um, 
had a couple of stuff, but I, at the same, but like there was one with Anthony Quinn called Across 110th Street. But I feel like that's, um, and that's uh, that's Anthony Quinn and Yafet Koto. But the really, really big stuff didn't start coming out until the next year. That's '73 brought us Black Caesar, uh, Cleopatra Jones, Coffee. Uh, Hell Up in Harlem That's another one That's another solid one Richard Pryor uh, was in one called The Mac Which came out in 73 Live and Let Die uh, So that's when James Bond started to take notice Of the black exploitation genre Was in 73 uh, Detroit 9000 Which sounds amazing I, I want in on that um, but yeah, that's kind. Of, Seventy three is where black exploitation hit it, started to hit its stride, and Superfly was was inspirational to that. But at the same time, it wasn't as I feel like it's not as iconic as some of the later entries in the genre, which kind of helped to warrant a warrant a remake. Um, although uh, Superfly was uh, was the, was directed by the son of Gordon Parks Senior, Gordon Parks Junior. Uh, who was the creator of Shaft? Uh, so I mean, it it definitely has that black exploitation lineage behind it, but I feel like uh, Shaft had a much more I, better, a much better idea of what it wanted to do. Whereas Superfly was definitely more, more, more um, aesthetic. Uh, it's definitely about the sort of coolness that. Uh, these guys and invo- and uh, kind of embodied, and that's kind of where they got into trouble. Was civil rights leaders at the time were like, we don't want our heroes to be pimps and drug dealers and overall criminals because those people, admittedly, are kind of terrible. But that didn't stop the sort of post civil rights generation being like, well, if I, well, how else am I? If this is how I am. I'm supposed to succeed. Why can't you just let me succeed? And so there's a, that's a whole other thing that I don't want to get into because I'm not qualified to talk about uh, the sort of debate on on the dire- on the direction of the black community and how black exploitation plays into the stereotypes. If it's a good thing, it's a bad thing. That's that's a better that's better off for a different podcast. This is about movies, and uh, so let's talk about that remake. Uh, the remake is actually improve an improvement in a lot of areas. It's Here's the thing, it's it continue it, it definitely maintains the sort of black ca- black predominantly black cast, although it does include a lot more. Uh, uh, I've never heard, never sure how to pronounce it. I've only seen it written. Uh, Latinx, Latinx, uh, Lat Latinx. Okay, Latinx, um, which is the. Uh, which is kind of the gender neutral term for um, Latina, Latino. And so Lat- Latinx. Um, uh, so there's a lot. So there's some more Latinx characters in there. Like, um, that's the thing. In the original, Priest had a side chick and then his main girl, Georgia. In the movie, they just go full on, like, polyamorous relationship. It's, it's a polyamorous relationship ri- written from a male point of view. At, compare this to like Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, where it, that's a polyamorous relationship written from a female point of view, and you kind of see the main difference. The polyamorous relationship in the male version is about 
you know, sex appeal. It's about, oh, this guy's got two chicks. Isn't that hot? And then slightly the chicks are also into each other as well, kind of. That, that Even then, that's kind of playing into the whole, you know, bisexuality as a means of placating male fantasy. Whereas in Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, even though it's complete trash as a biopic and in, in uh, depicting the actual Professor Marston, it does give a sex-positive portrayal of a polyamorous relationship. It also gives a very progressive bent on the idea of actually having a three-part relationship. And that kind of showcases how 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 the how the writer director had a better idea of how to tell how to depict polyamory in a positive way whereas here the two it's a bunch of dudes kind of projecting a male fantasy and that's the main difference that's why i can't really give it kudos for depicting polyamory because it's basically the the same kind of polyamory you see in a porno so um but at the same time like uh we've got a music video director Director X. Um, he's probably best... No, I, I'm, I'm forgetting which... Uh, which ones are his. Uh, best, no, Probably best known for what? Um, uh, what the hell is... Okay, apparently this isn't his first uh, uh, feature-length film. He did something called Across the Line. In Canada, which I've never heard of, um, but he's probably like here's some. Uh, he just did God's Plan uh, by Drake, but he's you know here. But he, but some other ones that you might know are um, Rihanna's work, uh, Fifth Harmony's All in My Head featuring Fetty Wap, uh, Iggy Azalea's Trouble, Drake's Hotline Bling. Uh, Kendrick Lamar's King Kunta. Uh, uh, the Fancy Video by Charlie XCX and Iggy Azalea. A, a lot of Iggy Azalea mo- uh, videos, actually. Uh, he also did Black Widow. Uh, what's another good one that people would know? A lot of Drake. Does a bunch of Drake stuff. Uh, Drake's Hyper. H-Y-F-R. Uh, Justin Bieber's boyfriend, Rick Ross featuring Wale and Drake dies pineapples. What the hell is that? I don't, I don't know. Um, Nicki Minaj's Your Love. Nelly Furtado's Mas. Uh, Nelly Furtado's Manos Al. Apparently, Nelly Furtado did a Spanish language album in 2009 because she did a bunch of stuff that uh, Director X did. Um, Trey Song's Wonder Woman. Oh boy. Uh, Corn's Coming Undone. Nelly Furtado and Timberland's Promiscuous. Uh, the Game's Let's Ride. Sean Paul's Temperature. Uh, Rihanna's Ponderiple. Uh, R. Kelly's Happy People. Osher's Caught Up. Uh, Mario's Let Me Love You. Um, Nelly featuring Christina Aguilera's Tilt Your Head Back. Akon's Ghetto. Oh, the Usher, Ludacris, Lil John, uh, Yeah video he directed. So this guy's been in the game since, not in the game, but it, but has been directing. Oh, he's been he even he's been working so long. He's directed an Aaliyah video back in two thousand two. I care for you, uh, bunch of Usher, 
He's definitely been working well with uh, Aaliyah and DMX's Come Back in One Piece. Um, Chris Rock's No Sex in the Champagne Room. Chris Rock's had a song. And then he's also directed like um, McCafe commercial. Like a McCafe commercial. Uh, he worked with Onyx uh, back in 98. So that's how long Director X has been working as a music video director. Since 1998. And only recently has kind of started to get into actu- get into more um, narrative filmmaking, but uh, but yeah, um, I think he he definitely needs to work on it. Um, I haven't seen it cross the line, but as far as Superfly goes, the acting isn't the best. It's not as awkward as a traditional black exploitation movie. It is, but it's just. Definitely not. I mean, the main thing is he hires. He's hired a bunch of rappers. I mean, that's the thing. They moved the setting from Harlem to Atlanta, and in doing so, brought in a whole bunch of Atlanta rappers. Like Rick Ross is in here, and oddly enough, Rick, the actual Rick Ross, who was a drug trafficker in the in L.A. in the seventies, I think, uh, or like the eighties, was inspired by the original Superfly. So it kind of comes full circle almost. Uh, Big Boy from Outcast is the mayor in this movie. Uh, Big Bl- Big Bank Black, who I'm not familiar with, is the main and is kind of the leader of this rival gang that they've introduced. That's the thing. The story is still kind of the same. The main difference is they've updated it so the distributor is the Mexican cartel, and oh well, a Mexican cartel. There isn't one cartel. A cartel is just a crime family. But it's a Mexican cartel uh, distributing the cocaine. And then they've added a lot of hip-hop influential stuff into it. Like one of the, one of the things that um, – one of the people that get borrowed money from Priest in this movie is a rapper. And, um, and they don't really emphasize the coke as much. In the original, there's a lot of people just snorting coke. Just randomly snorting – shots of snorting coke. And – Here it's not so much about that and more about just the actual drama of the interactions between these people. Like, the main thing is they've added an antagonist to kind of be a rival to Priest who hates Priest, he's jealous of Priest, is is totally totally gunning for Priest and eventually gets all of the stuff going because as Priest wants to kind of mind his business and plan for a, a way to get out he he surreptitiously gets a, gets the events rolling that have his rival gang which is called snow patrol because they dress in all white have white cars they even have white guns and they make it rain they make it snow in the club so to speak <laughs> they're snow patrol because of the cocaine and because of the precipitation that is their bills uh, uh, it's clever, you see. But, um, yeah, uh, Big Bank Black is the head of that gang. Um, and then Trevor's, Travis Scott is, um, is kind of an actor, singer-songwriter. Uh, not, I'm not as familiar with him. This is kind of my first introduction to him. But he's been in uh, some Disney Channel stuff, some Canadian TV stuff. He is... Honestly, way better than Ron O'Neill was as Priest in the original movie. Maybe Ron got better, but he Ron O'Neill feels like 
the poor man's um, Isaac Hayes as Truck Turner, or the poor man's um, what's his name? Who was Shaft? Who played Shaft? Richard Roundtree. He feel he definitely feels like um, the Ron O'Neill feels like the poor man sort of black exploitation leading man, and uh, yeah. I, whereas Travis Scott definitely he kind of he, number one, he kind of looks like the weekend. Which I don't know if that was intentional, but the hairstyle kind of reminds me if it was if he did it some dreads and made it look like an octopus, he he would kind of look like the weekend, uh, the weekend. Uh, but um, he's way better, and he's also given way better stuff to work with as well. So that's that's an improvement. Um, you've got uh, Eddie, who uh, who's played by. Um, the actor who played Easy e in uh, Straight Outta Compton, uh, Jason Mitchell. And then you've also got Michael K. Williams, who's probably best known as Chalky from uh, Boardwalk Empire, and Omar Little from The Wire uh, as the character Scatter, who in the original was kind of um, the, distribu- the one distributor uh, over Priest and kind of maintains that here, but they've switched some things around. Some things around. They've made uh scatter uh jujitsu black belt who runs a dojo of sorts and the original he was a chef uh in one scene uh for all we know i don't know I, I, it was the original superfly is kind of random sadly it's not very it, it definitely feels kind of amateur hour but um yeah that's kind of the main thing and then uh, Rick, so yeah, we got Rick Ross who shows up. Big Boy is the mayor. Lecrae is in there. Zaytoven, I don't recognize. Big Bank Black as the head of the Snow Patrol. Um, I'm just taking a look at the cast list here. Isai Morales is the head of the cartel. Uh, Isai Morales uh, played. Uh, wait, who is Bob Morales? Is that? Because uh, I know um, I know um, Lou Diamond Phillips played Richie Valens And so was Isai Morales is, what, Let me see Isai Morales plays Roberto Bob Morales Richie's half Richie's half brother That's who it was So for those who don't know Isai Morales was probably best known for playing Richie's brother Richie Valens brother in La Bamba and here he played, and he's also uh, Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Lieutenant Tony Rodriguez on NYPD Blue, and then uh, th- and so he's been in a bunch of stuff. But here he is the head of the cartel that distributes to Atlanta to um, Scatter that is um, re- approached by Priest in order to get a bigger load. And I got, and I will, and I will say like it, th- parts of it feel like. Um, feel like music videos and it helps and it doesn't and you know part of that is fueled by the fact that the soundtrack is produced by Atlanta rapper Future. This is definitely this was this was a project that really embraced Atlanta. It's set in Atlanta, it's filmed in Atlanta, it features Atlanta you know you know famous Atlantans and it's a, it's a kind of like love letter of sorts to the city of Atlanta. And, um, yeah, the soundtrack features a lot of new stuff. 
produced by uh, Future in the same sense that um, Kendrick Lamar kind of produced the Black Panther soundtrack. And whereas I feel like Kendrick produced a better soundtrack to a better movie, it's in the same vein, and I give Future credit. It's probably some of his best songs as well. It's some of his best songs um, as a, as you know that I've heard. Like I've real like Future tends to really really dig into the whole trap sound. And here it's more it's definitely there's elements of trap music, but there's also some more you know there's some more uh funk. They bring back the uh Curtis Mayfield uh um uh theme from the original and so it's not so one note. It's definitely really ambitious all things considered. And uh, you know, I commend him for that. You know, I'm not going to say he did a bad job because he didn't, but at the same time, you know, when you compare it to what Kendrick did with the Black Panther soundtrack, eh, it's kind of hard to compare, kind of hard to compete, you know. But for what it's worth, I kind of prefer the remake. I think the remake has a lot more going for it. It's better shot. It's better uh, written. It's got more going for it there, and it's not. You know, there are some bad performances in it, but for all intents and purposes, it's actually kind of an improvement. I mean, there are, you know, it's not great. It's not, I wouldn't say it's the best thing to come out the weekend. I mean, the same weekend brought us Tag and, and Incredibles, too, which are way better. But at the same time, like, this movie definitely tried. Um, okay, Travis Jack, Trevor Jackson. Travis Scott is a rapper. So Trevor Jackson... Is the star. I don't know. I think I saw Travis Scott on Director X's Wikipedia page. And that's what threw me off. So yeah. Trevor Jackson is the star. He's the one who's been on like Disney Channel and whatnot. And um, Disney Channel's television movie Let It Shine. Eureka on Sci-Fi. Siffy. Um, singer, dancer, actor, songwriter. So he's a little bit of everything. So yeah. Trevor Jackson. He does a great job. He's a, I'm interested to see what he does from here. Because he's definitely showcased that he can... You know, do more. You know, he's a definitely capable of more. But yeah, I mean, it's it, this feels more like a fun sort of love letter to Atlanta, made by Atlantans, kind of for themselves. It's like a sort of in joke for them. Like they 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 get all the ref- they can get all the references. They know these guys better than I do. But it's not bad. It's just it's just not for me, so to speak. And I will say it's better than the original. It made a lot of improvements. But that said, I probably won't go back and watch it again unless someone I know really wanted to see it. So, yeah. good. Hey, good job, you guys. Good job on Director X and Future and Alex C, who uh, wrote the script. They did a lot of... They, they did exactly what you're supposed to do with a remake. Take the original, use what worked, improve on what didn't. This didn't improve on everything. It didn't make a masterpiece, but it did improve in a lot of ways, and it made a contemporary version of the story. And that's to be commendable. That's exactly what you're supposed to do with a remake. So yeah, Superfly. It's better than the original, and but it's still not the best thing, you know, that you could do with this story. So with that being said, uh, we'll we'll uh, take a quick break, and then we'll cut back. Come back with uh, an update on where we are with Pixar. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together, we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. predicting a much harsher discussion this week because we're going back to Pixar. I haven't re-listened, I haven't re-listened to uh, the one I did after Finding Dory, the state of Pixar there, but um, I know about that same time as when Saberspark kind of did his Is Pixar Failing? And he's talking more in a creative aspect. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, you could see why he was worried because most of the movies coming out at that point were all sequels and a lot of them with diminishing returns even the new release even the you know the original properties were not coming back with as great a return that was you know this is about the era of brave and like inside and not and while inside out was great the good dinosaur was not like he released that video along the, along with finding dory and cars 3 was going to come out the next year and it was like Coco was a nice, re- same breath of fresh air that Inside Out was. Same goes for Coco. But there's been a lot of sort of meandering uh, from Pixar as of late. And so it was, I was kind of worried. And looking into it, I'm happy to say that I'm not as worried anymore. Uh, but, and basically the thing that's going on is Incredibles 2... Uh, was great, and after Toy Story Four, which was pushed back to 2019, we are we are slated for four, five. Oh my God, they've got five original movies. It looks like coming out. Um, 2020 to plan to be original, followed by two original films that are still in early development, and then there's a suburban slug. So like Once a suburban fantasy. Uh, which takes place in a post-magical world without humans populated with elves, trolls, and sprites, where unicorns are as common as rodents. Two elf brothers who lost their father when they were too young to remember him with the help of some magical remains left in the world. Uh, Another original for Pixar. So they've got... um, And then then the guy who directed this short before Incredibles, which I forgot to mention, Bao is a cute little Japanese uh, uh, semi-autobiographical story, I think, based on director Dome Shi. Uh, let me see. Bao. Uh, oh, no, Chinese, not Japanese. Um, aging and lonely Chinese mother suffering from empty nest syndrome. And then uh, one. Then there, there's a little uh, dumpling, I think, called a bao in Chinese uh, cuisine. And so one of her bao comes to life... And kind of, and it's it's a, it's a sort of um, uh, it's it's a sort of um, like okay, it's not Dome she um, uh, 
it's not about her um her her childhood because it's about a, a chinese uh boy and leaving the nest but it's definitely i mean it probably is um is pro- i mean it is probably like inspired somewhat about uh her uh mother and and uh domain um domain i want to say domain it's two e's in a row um but yeah it's um so i'm not sure how much of this is based on her own life but it's a it's a really really cute story and apparently they're gonna give her her own movie uh not i'm guessing not based on bow although that would be interesting um but it, they're going to give her her own movie. So they've got five movies coming out uh, untitled, un, you know, un, you know un, un, um, unannounced titles. So it's 20, two in 2020, one in 2021, and then two in 2022. Boy, the 2020s are going to be really awkward to talk about. Um, it's going to be a mouthful. But... Yeah, they've got so everything after Toy Story Four is going to be an original IP, and I'm I'm glad to see that. And um, yeah, I'm um they haven't said what. Like I said, they haven't given a name for that one. That's a suburban fantasy, but uh, Corey Ray is producing that with Dan Scanlon as the director. Dan Scanlon being the guy who did Monsters University. And did a bunch of direct-to-video sequels. Although, okay, that was an animator, not as a um, not as a writer. So he's been mainly an animator, but he didn't really. But he was involved in Brave, Inside Out, and then he directed Monsters University. So he's kind of a workman sort of guy, it seems. But we're so it's so it's going to be interesting to see what he does when he's given his own property. But, uh, yeah, the team behind Monsters University are going to be doing another thing. That They're going to be doing the fantasy thing. And then, um... And then there's... They have an announced... There's film by Mark Andrews. Uh, Peak Doctor, Domenshi, I believe. Uh, who is also working on one. So I think those are the, all of them. They haven't listed the directors. Uh, they haven't announced the directors attached to each film. But, yeah, um... So, so we got um, Dan Scanlon behind Monsters University, Brian Fee, Mark Andrews, Pete Doctor, and Domeshi. Um, and then Brian Fee just did Cars three, um, and then has also worked on an animator in Disney, going back to Pocahontas too. And a lot of these, a lot of these animators at Pixar seem to have started in the direct video portion uh, of, um, of of uh, Disney. <laughs> Interesting. So, uh, yeah, Brian Fee, Brian Fee from Car Story is directing his own original. And then you've got um, Pete Docter, who, all, who just did, whose last thing was Inside Out. So he's doing another one. Uh, Mark Andrews, who did what? Mark Andrews is co-director behind Brave. And what else? Ooh! He's an animator on Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, the second Cataclysm video game. There's, a, there's an idea that should have that should have come come to fruition. Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, a post-apocalyptic future where you drive Cadillacs and there are dinosaurs. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, senior creative team on Monsters University, 
senior creative team on Inside Out, director, co-writer on Brave, uh, co-writer on John Carter, story supervisor on Ratatouille. So yeah, this um, Mark Andrews is doing his own thing, and then Domin Domeshi, uh, who just did Bow, is doing her own thing. Yeah, I'm in. For, I'm 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 all about this. So. I'm interested to see what these new these new cats have to offer. Like Brian Fee and um, and uh, Dan Scanlon, they've done they've been they've kind of were brought in to do franchise work. That was their initial uh, you know out you know outlet as a creative as create as directors. But I'm interested to see what they're going to do with their own stories. And I'm dying to see what happens. And I'm like the one I'm not as hyped about is Mark Andrews only because I know Bray was kind of you know mismanaged that and the good dinosaur both were kind of mismanaged behind the scenes and it shows in the final product so hopefully their his next one won't be as muddled as 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 um as, as brave was but uh wait a minute yeah Pete Doctor inside out up and Monsters Inc. and the original Monsters Inc. So yeah, I- I'm good. I'm a- I'm pumped for his, and I'm interested to see. So Pete Doctor is the one I'm most uh, hyped for. Uh, Dan Scanlon and uh, Brian Fee, I'm 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 optimistic about. Mark Andrews, I'm cautiously optimistic, and then Dome she is I'm also optimistic about because she she did a great short, and I'm interested to see what she does with a full feature. That's the other thing too. I wish they'd give you know these shorts. Who do who are some of the people behind their shorts? Domeshi, I, I mentioned. I really hope I pronounce like her name right. I'm gonna do. I did this with Robert Guillaume. I'm doing this with her. How do you pronounce her name? Let's do an interview. Here's an interview. Okay, I've found an interview. Her name is pronounced Domi She. So Domi, I am so sorry. You're amazing. I loved Bao, and I'm so happy to hear that you got a uh, feature length out of it. First female at Pixar to direct an animated short, and first one to then go on to direct a um I know a full length feature, because that's the thing. Um like I think the only other uh, direct female director at Pixar was um, what's her name? Uh, who co Brenda Chapman, the who co-directed Brave, um, and who wrote it? But uh, yeah, there. I think uh, Brenda is the only real. Oh, Jan Pinkava also. No, that's a guy. Jan, some uh, Jan Pinkava, uh, co-directed Ratatouille. Um, so yeah, it looks like Brenda Chapman is the first kind of director at Pixar of a Pixar feature, but Domi is getting uh, her own. You know, not only did was the first to direct a short, but is also now going on to do a a a feature, and I'm pumped. I am so pumped, and I'm surprised that uh, another one, uh, Sanjay Patel. I'm surprised. Why didn't he get it? Why isn't he getting a deal? Um, the, uh, there's a bunch of short directors that I want to see more out of. Give them stuff. Give them more stuff. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I'm, 
I'm I'm all I'm all into this. So uh, so yeah, Domi is I'm, I'm I'm pumped for her. I'm so excited to see what she what she does. And um, so yeah, the one with the good uh, pedigree behind him is Pete Doctor. Um, Dan Scanlon and uh, Brian Fee are kind of newcomers. They started out doing sequels, so I'm interested to see what they do when they're behind their own property. And then Mark Andrews kind of kind of fumbled a bit, but I'm interested to see what he does. And Domi hit it out of the park with a great short, and I'm dying to see what she does. Pixar's in good good. Pixar's on the up. Pixar's going in a good direction, people. So I'm. So after, I'm sure after Toy Story 4, we're going to hear some news about what's coming up. And I am into this. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, this, this uh, going into the weekend was going to be had me worried that I was going to be trashing one of my favorite studios. But instead, it's, it's, it's a hype train. I'm, I'm helping you climb aboard the hype train. Ticket for the hype train. Yes. Yes. Ah, uh, so excited. And, um, yeah, I do, I will say Toy Story 4, I'm, I'm trepidatious on, uh, just because apparently they are going to focus on finding Bo Peep, who was missing from the, from Toy Story 3, and it's going to be about finding her, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, but we'll see, um, although Don Rickles has since passed, so hope I don't know if they're gonna use use dialogue, you know dialogue that he recorded during production or what's going on, but uh, we'll because I, I know they they recast um, Slinky Dog after Jim Varney died, but so we'll see. Um, Judy Betts is gonna reprise her role, but at the same but she stayed at the kids preschool thing with with um I thought she stayed at the preschool with uh Ken and that but then Ken is there's no Michael Keaton returning as Ken so is this a new Barbie or I don't know um but Annie Potts is back as Bo Peep, Rashida Jones and Will McCormick uh apparently withdrew from the project Wait, Rashida Jones was going to write it? I want to see that draft. I want to see what she had to write. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, that's the one I'm worried about. And I'm kind of hoping that that's the last of the sequels for a while. Just because I want to see more original stuff. So, I'm, a, I'm pumped to see what the, what, these, what the new IP is going to be and if it's going to be good. I have high hopes. And I just hope that Pixar lives up to them. They, they try, I know they try to. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it, I think. That's all I really had to say, aside from, you know, correct, correcting, um, my pronunciation of poor, uh, Miss She's, uh, name. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad to, uh, I'm really glad that Pixar is going back to more of their original stories. That's what made them famous. They, they, unless that, I feel like the sudden shift into pumping out sequels, Really threw everybody off, and I kind of hope that they limit them. So it's not all. So maybe like every couple of original movies, they'll do a sequel if they wanted to. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, that about does it for the discussion portion. It was all a hype train, sadly. 
Uh, I had nothing else really to talk about, though. So uh, let's uh, cut right over to the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. A couple of stuff has fallen out of the top seven, but not out of the top ten. So I'll give a quick uh, update on that. It's all mainly um, older stuff. Avengers Infinity War. You're not going to have to hear me talk about Avengers Infinity War again because it's finally out of the top seven. It's only made $5 million this weekend. And um, it's finally over $2 billion worldwide. So that's all I need to say about that. Otherwise, um, uh, Book Club dropped and a Drift dropped out of the top seven they all just dropped and uh that's about there are a couple i want to do want to there's one i want to mention at least not a couple there's definitely one i want to mention uh as well real loser this weekend but uh let's get into it uh first up number seven is a new release uh the all the new releases the main wide new releases were in the top seven this weekend uh so number seven was superfly Unfortunately, it only brought in $8 million, and its production budget was $16 million. So unless it can bring, unless it can maintain that momentum, I don't see it making, making that much. I, I don't see it bombing, because it's low enough budget, and it hopefully won't bomb. But it didn't really do too well this weekend, probably because it was, it, honestly, this probably would have been better suited for a February release. I don't know why they released it in June. I think that's a problem with the distributor. Who's behind this? Who distributed this? Um, let's go to the numbers. Uh, Superfly was distributed by Sony Pictures. So even with releasing on Wednesday, they couldn't top the weekend. You know, they, well, they couldn't do more than $10 million this weekend. So with a five-day weekend release, Sony Pictures... I, that's the... Sony is the kid, is the Charlie Brown of studios. I swear to God, they always do this to themselves. And you, and you wonder why, and then you say, you cannot be trusted with a film studio. You obviously can't do it right. Anyway, so yeah, it sucks for Superfly. Uh, I, blame, I entirely blame Sony. Uh, next up, number six is last week's number four, Hereditary. Uh, brought this, this weekend brought in $7 million. Which brings it up to twenty-seven million dollars. Um, so it's well. I think it's well starting to dig into the rest of the marketing budget, and we'll hopefully start to break into uh, the black soon. But it's still number one of all the Sundance releases. Uh, so good on them. They're doing great. Good for them. Next up, number five is last week's number three, Deadpool Two, brought in eight point eight million dollars this weekend. Bringing its domestic total up to twenty nine two hundred ninety four million dollars, and its for and its worldwide total to six hundred eighty nine million. I gotta say, whoever I, that's the thing, uh, Comcast has been gunning for the Fox properties now, and I just want to. And I know I shouldn't care about multi billion dollar corporations vying for intellectual property, but just Comcast. Can you just not let us have nice things? Why can't you let us have nice things? I hope Disney buys you out, you hacks. You suck. You suck at everything. Screw you, Comcast. Can't let us have nice things. Anyway, back. speaking of Disney, 
Number four is last week's number two, Solo, which brought in $9 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to $192 million and its worldwide total to $339 million. And still making it at the bottom of the of the bottom ten, you know, right in the ten, right at number ten of all the Star Wars releases. So this movie couldn't do better than the original. I mean, prequels and Rogue One. They this movie could not do better. Like if you had just like I, I've been saying this, if you had just for inflation, Solo gets knocked out of the top ten by the Star Wars Special Edition re-release in the nineties. So, that's bad. This is definitely a bomb for, for Disney Star Wars. This is their first real bomb of a movie. And that's saying something, because that's basically... It's only been able to make back its budget. So, I can't say it's unwarranted either, because nobody wanted this. Uh, it wasn't all that great. So, we can do better. That's about it. That's all I got to say. We can do better. So next up, number three is a fir- as, as the next of the new releases. Tag brought in $14.6 million this weekend and had an extra million, uh, million and a half from the foreign market. So it's estimated to have a worldwide total of its opening weekend at $16 million. The problem is it costs 28 to make. So... Whoops. <laughs> Maybe it was a little CG arms. It just jacked up the price. It jacked up the budget. But, um, you know, that that's, you know, that's, you know, it, it probably didn't help that it was released against a really anticipated, uh, decades long awaited sequel. So, it, you know, it's kind of programming, but it ultimately couldn't compete with its, uh, with its, with its main release. Um, so yeah, uh, tag. Good, nice try, guys. Nice effort. Uh, number two, last week's number one, Ocean's Eight brought in not, had a precipitous drop. Only brought in nineteen and a half million dollars this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to seventy nine million and its worldwide total up to one hundred and sixteen million, which means it's still the lowest performing of the Ocean's movies. And sadly. I am worried that this means that pe- that Hollywood executives will make it say make it seem like it's because it was a female lead and not because it was a tired franchise. So that's what I worry. That's what I really worry because it's always been the law of diminishing returns. And even though this had the highest um, opening weekend, it could not sustain itself, and it it really it really sucks. It really sucks. So yeah. Anyway. The number one release this weekend, Incredibles 2, breaking box office records. Yeah, the last, Pixar broke two record, or is the last two record holders for the highest grossing opening weekend for an animated film. Yes, they did this last time with Finding Dory, and they did it again with Incredibles 2. It's slated uh, domestic budget, the domestic gross opening weekend is $180 million. And they've got an extra $51.5 million from foreign markets, bringing its worldwide opening weekend total to $231.5 million. Let's take a look at that budget. It's not on Box Office Mojo. Let me try Wikipedia. Not on Wikipedia. Let's check IMDb. 
IMDB does not say lovely. Well, let's take a look at the last one. Last one cost $92 million to make. Let's take a look at the last Pixar movie. Last Pixar movie. Well, Coco, let's take a look at Finding Dory. That's, a, that's probably a good uh, watermark. $200 million budget. So it's already slated to earn back its budget this weekend. And uh, let's take a look at Coco. That's the last Pixar movie to come out. That cost... Around two hundred million dollars. That's about that's about a good estimation for Pixar movies. They cost about two hundred million dollars, and it's already made back that money in its first weekend. So now it just has to make back the marketing, and if it can do that, it's it's golden. So it's already on its way to make back its money, and people wanted it. But let's see if they can if they go back and see it again. That's the main. That's where that's where the money comes in is repeat uh, customers, and well out of the top ten is a new release this weekend that has been trashed by the critics. It is John Travolta as John Gotti in Gotti, and no budget listed on Box Office Mojo. Probably smart. Um, let's take a look at. Wikipedia, 2018 film, $10 million. Could not, it it struggled to make just one this weekend. And it only came out in 500 theaters. A Wrinkle in Time is in in half of the theaters that Gotti is, and made more money this weekend than Gotti did. It had a precipitous jump this weekend. Probably because it went into dollar theaters. So A Wrinkle in Time jumped up from number 30 to 11 this week. But, but Gotti couldn't even do better than that. Wow, that's sad. And from what I hear, it's a garbage film, so good. 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 Screw you. Uh, so yeah, that's the box office report for this weekend. It's a solid weekend. We're finally starting to get the, get in, you know, go headfirst into the blockbuster season. And let's, and then with that in mind, we've only got one release coming out next weekend. Why don't we take a look at it? It is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. It's actually a pretty solid uh, effect there. I can't tell what's uh, CG and what's practical. Yeah, they're they're trying to mix the comedy in there. Not sure. Is that there must be a hybrid or something because T Rexes don't have three claws. Eleven species. Blue is the last of her kind. You'll never capture her. We thought you might know someone who could help. A rescue op? What could go wrong? Hey, Blue. You know me. Come with me. You know you can't stay here. That's the first time... This trailer's the first time I saw the dart hit her. Normally it's just the smell thing. 
man who proved raptors can follow orders. You never thought how many millions a trained predator might be worth? They're gonna sell them. Not blue. They need it for something else. What is that thing? They made it. This is the most dangerous creature that ever walked the earth. I say we shut this whole thing down. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about this. Hey, girl. You think what I'm thinking? Genetic power has now been unleashed. You can't put it back in the box. Apparently this dinosaur is bulletproof. Fantastic! If I don't make it back... Remember, you're the one who made me come here. I'll be alright. These creatures were here before us. And if we're not careful, yeah, they're gonna be. Yeah, here. this is. I'm getting the the uh, the um, Lost World, the Lost World. World vibe from this. Oh God, this! Oh, I forgot about this. They figured out how to open doors. Why is it waiting? Why is it waiting? God, that's so stupid. It's so forced. It's such a forced horror image. God. Ugh. Uh, so yeah, I am I am dubious because I was not big on Jurassic World. I still I think it's an improvement over Jurassic uh, The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 in some spots, but overall it's still not as good as that original movie, and this feels like it's going down the Lost World track. We'll see how it turns out. But I'm very dubious about this one. And so with all that being said, it is time for the plugs. If you are listening to this podcast, you are most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so there. And if you want to make, you know, but if you want to listen to us on the go, then you can also find us on your various podcasting platforms. Um, we're available through iTunes, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud. Well, the archive is still up at SoundCloud. I haven't updated it in a while. But uh, Spotify and iHeart. We just got added to iHeart. And um, I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm all excited. Uh, we're all over the place. And you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. And... Um, and, uh, you know, if you are listening to us through... Uh, our homepage. Be sure to check out all of our other fine programming there. Art I Swear, Donna Stuff at, uh, with uh, Snarkasts and um, the Horror Beyond the Cabin in the Woods and Buffy and um, uh, Supernatural. And then we've also just premiered a brand new podcast. That's right. I started a new podcast that's basically an audio book club. We, where you get where every two weeks we read a book and then come back with uh, with uh, what we thought and so we premiered three episodes of Living in the Stacks the audio book club brought to you by Gumby Cat Network so if you want to in on that you can find us there and you can look for us on iTunes and Google and all the other podcasting platforms and then uh, wherever you will listen to podcasts be sure to like and uh, comment and rate. And let people know that you like this, that you, you listening, 
like this podcast and that they should check it out. And um, speaking of which, you can share us on your social media. The social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. That's where all the big announcements are going to be. You can also find uh, find me on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. That's where I just did a much long for Superfly in 1972. And where you can find me talking to my to other people involved in film criticism and review and even um, the films, filmmaking. Uh, if you want to talk to me, you can do so there. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. That's where a lot of the big, that's where a lot of the Facebook posts go. And then you can also find me on Stardust. If you download the Stardust app, you can find me at Popcorn Junkie. And there I do give my initial reactions to what I just watched. So you can kind of get an idea of what to expect from the review. And you can also follow other fine reviewers there. Uh, the other internet's John Bailey with an I uh, is there as Epic Voice Guy. He does some of the best reactions on the entire platform. Uh, Stardust is basically a vine of sorts for film review and TV review and trailer reactions. And it's a lot of fun. If you aren't there yet, come join us. We're having a blast. And... Uh, we're also the the Twitch stream is still down for right now. Um, I I'll, I'm hoping to get back uh, hoping to get that back up and running soon. Uh, I want to start incorporate. I also want to start incorporating like uh, Xbox and PS4 and Switch console recording as well. I want to get that up and running uh, before I start. So uh, I've got a bunch of stuff to work on. Um, I think. That's about it. So, I mean, other than that, you can always send any feedback, any corrections, any comments. Send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. I'll get back to you as, as soon as I can. Or if you want, I can always read your reply out on the, on the podcast. So send all of that uh, relevant information to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and things are finally looking up for Pixar. After they weren't for a couple of years, but I guess they were always kind of like, I don't know. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by the M. Look at Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork.